Hello, hello. Welcome into another episode of Blueprint to Canton. I'm Nelly, uh, your host here at A Nelly Ticks. Uh, again, brought to you by uh, Campus to Canton and the Campus to Canton team. Speaking of them, for, for episode one, I'm calling this, this is the first episode with a guest where, we, uh, where, where I'll be bouncing thoughts uh, back and forth off other people rather than just talking to myself in circles. Um, I, I brought on Austin from Campus to Canton at Debbie Dietz. Uh, super excited to have him on. How are you doing, Austin? I'm good. I mean, we need to call this like the, the blueprint lounge or something, you know, like give it sex it up a little bit. <laughs> I like that. I was kind of picturing some uh, maybe uh, architecture vibes along with like blue dim lights. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Maybe some like soft jazz in the background. Yeah, that's that's the show. Exactly. That's the show. A little nerdy, a little sexy, a little mix between the two. <laughs> but um, yeah, anyway, we Austin and I have talked strategy in the past um, a, a, a decent amount. I mean, he's who I kind of came to uh, at first with the idea of a strategy podcast. And we've talked about it um, behind the scenes a few times. We, we actually we grabbed beers out here in Pittsburgh and, and talked about it a little bit. So this has been, um, this has been a long time coming on my end and also on, on campus to Canton's end. So happy to finally put this together, but uh, we have a few topics here that I want to dive into. It's uh, the, the college side of, of uh, C2C leagues just got started. We just have week one. And uh, the first topic that I want to talk about here is, um, the usage of waivers in campus to Canton leagues on the college side. Um, this is something that is incredibly important, in my opinion, to team building um, and is not really something that's talked about strategy wise. So uh, I think I think it's worth touching on before we're talking about strategy. Before we start talking about strategy here, you have you have different league rules, um, which, which will kind of dictate what you do here. Um, I think. Uh, probably the most common is four waiver, uh, four waiver claims a season uh, to be used at any time. Uh, I also play in a handful of leagues that are uh, one waiver claim a week for every week of the season. And then uh, I would say the third most common is just unlimited waivers. Um, I, I guess what, what have you seen most in your leagues, Austin, and what do you prefer? I have a pretty good mix and... I at the, I'm at the point where like I, I feel like I have enough leagues and I I'm experienced enough that I almost like I, I'll sign up for a league with specific weight like I'll be like I don't have any no waiver leagues let me go sign up for one of those or you know I I, I want an unlimited waivers league I'm gonna go sign up that almost drives what leagues I like to even join at this point because it just changes the strategy so much um, and you know just as long as you know what you what it is going into it I. I don't know I, the, the, the strategy changes for sure, but I don't know that, um, you know, if you're a seasoned player that it makes too much, like you should be able to handle all of those different iterations pretty easily. And I'm sure you are, you know, like you said, in, in kind of all those different types too. Yeah, I am. I'm actually the opposite though, in terms of uh, my desire, I would like for every league to be the same. That way I don't, don't have to kind of figure out which league is which. Um, because and also like the night that waivers are on, I don't know. The more leagues I have with different rules, the more likely I am to forget a rule in a league. Um, but that's that's a personal problem. That's a me problem. Um, I guess the biggest one other format that I didn't mention, other than no waivers, is there are some leagues that have certain claim windows. So like 
those those four claims in a season. That's only after week three and week seven that you get those opportunities. Um, so so that's another kind of that's a format uh, for a league that I'm in. I've seen other people play in leagues like that. Um, well, luckily, those are going away. And I think yeah. those became popular for anybody that doesn't know Shaq, Brian Chakokis, I think, Chicago. I don't know, Shaq, <laughs> who's kind of got campus can't leagues really popular. And that was kind of his preferred setup as he started. So usually leagues that you see with that are either old leagues or leagues started by him or somebody who like learned from him. But that I had two of them this off season. We changed it. I think those are going away. I don't see a lot of those windows anymore, which thank God, because they're just annoying to keep track of. And it, there is advantage to paying attention early and snagging guys. And if everyone's concentrated on a couple weeks, it, I think it takes away a lot of the strategy and kind of makes it a little more like what's everybody else bidding, which I don't find to be a particularly fun strategy. Like, cause you're just going to center on a couple players. And then it's like, then you have to play the game. Like, Oh, do I just play You know, do I bid a dollar on this guy that no one's going it, to, it's like, it's not really a fun strategy. It's more of just like a, I don't know, like a, a, a TV show, like game show theory. And it's not, that's not as fun to me. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. And, and also like if, if you're me, or if you're like me, uh, you forget which week those those waiver windows are, and then you're just you're kind of screwed because waivers are crucial. Um, so, I guess that being said, let, let's get into it a little bit in terms of strategy. Now, you did mention early season; you can find guys. I think, from my perspective, the early weeks are the most important weeks in terms of uh, of of the claims that you can make. Um, when you are making claims early in the season, what are you looking for, for the types of players that you're making claims on? Yeah. So, I mean, if there's a Debbie player floating out around there, that's great. And that's obviously always going to be the top priority, you know, and occasionally you will see a guy, especially maybe you drafted really early in the off season. And then some guy kind of emerged at, you know, now he's the starting running back at Auburn or something and you're like that that could be a Debbie guy like that that's probably going to be the player at the top of my list but otherwise um I I'm looking for CFF guys and I think some of it's uh you know you're looking at system you know history of what that coaching staff that team has produced uh maybe this player you know if we have had an opinion on this player for a while was it positive was it negative if not you know do they have a pedigree you know, I'll kind of all add all these things together and figure out, you know, is this guy going to last all season doing this or is week one with how wonky the scheduling is week one and everybody plays uh, directional state university, is it sustainable all year? So I think those are kind of what the, the things that I'm thinking about. And just to, I know like we try to keep this show, like not really names, but kind of guys that fit that from this past week, TJ Finley, I think was a guy that I was willing to spend, you know, 60, 70% of a budget on at Texas state there. Good system, good pedigree. Like, yeah, it didn't work out in the sec, but the list of guys that couldn't do it there and then could do it elsewhere is very long. And, and he's got the athletic qualities. And then a guy like Buffelli Ashlock at Hawaii, who's had two really great weeks in a run and shoot offense in the position in the offense that gets targeted a lot with a, a coordinator that has a history of it. So like those are the things I'm looking for early because I think those guys I, I think I feel more comfortable guessing that they're going to do this ten more times as opposed to a guy that um, you know maybe it's Sam Houston's running back or some you know some random team that does it once I'm like I've never heard of this guy I don't know if this offense is any good I don't, I don't know the coaching history here like 
that that is not sustainable. Yeah. No, I agree. And and also, I don't know if this is coincidental, but something additionally that I look for if I'm looking for a CFF guy is guys who have multiple years left. Um, and you mentioned Ashlock. He's, he, he's a retro freshman. I know TJ Finley, I'm sure, has years of eligibility left. And, and for me, that's equally important because you can find a lot of guys early on that fit kind of that mold of good system, good early production, and kind of good rest of season outlook for CFF. So like the tiebreaker for me is guys who you're going to get multiple years out. So you don't have to make the same claim next year to kind of replace this guy. You have someone for, for multiple years. And I know we've talked about this a little bit in terms of like it's less projectable for year over year with the transfer portal now. Um, but I still think it's worth something rather than nothing there. For sure. And I think I'm, I'm glad you said that. Cause yeah, I mean, I've, I've focused on that less now than I was doing two, three, four years ago. Cause yeah, it's just so hard. I mean, you, you pick up Kanata Mumfield, you know, you think, man, this guy's going to tear apart the Mac for the next three years. And then he transfers up, you know, that it's not sustainable. Um, so, but yeah, I think, you know, I, if I can get that, I, I will get that. Yeah. Yeah. But also the portal does bring good. I mean, we have Jamari Thrash and we Jacob Cowing in years past. Like sometimes it actually doesn't work, but it is. But it is. There's a lot more unknown that comes with it. Um, I, I guess the other thing I want to talk about here um, is uh, if you're picking up Debbie guys, because I think for me, for, for my my sort of strategy in in startups and supplementals is less freshman heavy compared to your your normal. Uh, campus to can player. And so um, the way that I kind of counter that, because youth is important and a Devi pipeline is important. I, I don't, I don't follow the strategy because I don't believe in that. Um, so, so I kind of counter my, my hesitation there with being eager for Devi guys on, on waivers. And early in the season is when you can get like mid, mid four stars who are, are, kind of shining early and those are the guys who um still have a pretty high ceiling you know if you look at this year's uh uh rookie wide receiver class we had four wide receivers go in the first round we had jackson smith and jigba who would have been drafted early in campus again supplemental leagues but then we have quen johnson jordan addison zay flowers johnson and addison were were four-star recruits but i doubt they would have been getting drafted in every campus to Canton league um i guess is that accurate? You would uh, were were you playing uh, when they were coming out? Yeah, Johnston got a little bit of hype just because he was kind of like a big athletic freak. But Addison was not. I don't think Addison was drafted in a single one of my leagues uh, at all. He, no hype there. Right, and then I'm pretty sure Zay Flowers was a three star. Um, but again, a guy who broke out early and kind of flash production early, and so those are like. There is that sort of ceiling with these guys that you're picking up off off of waivers um, to still have the, the a similar ceiling to these high recruits. And for every Quentin Johnston that you pick up, you're going to pick up three Jaden Braves and Dijon Striblings. But it's kind of it's it's the same as taking a shot on a freshman before you see them play, except now you have at least a little bit of a baseline to back it off of. Uh, so for me, when I use my early season waivers, like that's especially a focus for me rather than um, supplementing my CFF squad, especially since I try and do that through the draft. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I guess 
from your perspective, thinking about that, do you have any any sort of indicators uh, to like find these guys that are breaking out early, like something to find uh, a Quentin Johnson or Jordan Addison or a running back who's who's getting some run early? What do you look for in the early weeks? Yeah, I'm looking at snap percentages early in the week, and that's why I'm doing my key takeaways article and and then the podcast form actually on this feed uh, every single week this season. Um, especially kind of as you get into like those weeks, like four, five, six, I think that's kind of when you start seeing some guys, you know, this name's popped up a couple times, you know, he's getting 34% of snaps, 40% of snaps, 50% of snaps. Um, so that's kind of how, and I, but I think you raised a good point with like a guy like Zay Flowers, for instance, I bet if you were picking Zay Flowers up the first couple weeks of his freshman year, or whatever, you probably weren't picking him up saying this guy might be a first round pick someday. You're probably just picking him up saying like, this guy's producing, this guy's playing, that's really cool. And then he turned into something else for you. So, I, and I think that happens a lot. So especially if it's like a power five guy, then I think they have uh, as good of opportunity as anybody. If you see a freshman playing a lot early, like sure. You're, you're picking him up because he, he had 80 yards and a touchdown last week, but that, that, that could be worth something more someday. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I guess from my perspective as someone who does not do a lot of like, I, I'm not, I'm not, doing a lot of studying up on freshmen other than reading content that you guys produce and just stuff I see out there on Twitter. Like I, from a, from a numbers perspective, feel more comfortable once I actually see the guys start to do something in college rather than taking shots on, on, on guys before they even step foot at school. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I guess I, I feel like that's a very important um Topic for me to touch on if I'm going to kind of push the the anti-freshman, the anti-taking shots on freshmen and a supplemental strategy is you do need to still supplement your roster with youth in other ways. And so um, I, I think that uh, doing it this way is a viable strategy. I agree. I agree. Yeah. All right, cool. Let's um, – oh, actually – I did want to. I did want to talk about um, how much money you're spending early, um, early in the season. Assuming that you're using Fab, most most leagues are using Fab, and uh, if it's a limited number of waivers for a season, are you blowing those early? Or are you saving them for later in the year? Like, do you have kind of guidelines you follow, or is it more of a case by case basis? It's kind of case by case. I'll find you know maybe maybe two to. Four or five guys the first week or two of the season where I, I kind of consider them like guys I go all in on. And that's probably 70%, maybe 80% of a budget on a single guy max. Uh, if that's the right direction I want to go, obviously uh, it might vary based on your league and, and knowing your league mates in that uh, capacity is a good thing. But I can say this, for instance, this week I had one or two leagues where I thought about 70% of the budget would get a Pafeli Ashlock and somebody bid like way more than that. Uh, and now, you know, maybe the other secondary targets I had, maybe, maybe they all went as well. I think I'm now comfortable saving that budget for a few weeks if I can. And then being the guy that can kind of fling some cash around middle end of season on either stashes or guys that break out kind of late in the season. Cause I think those guys, if you have a good idea of the, the portal kind of ruins that a little bit now, but, uh, I think if you can kind of start drawing lines to next season and what can happen, or, you know, maybe a guy that's snap shares increasing a little bit at the be at the end of the year uh then you can kind of be the big dog at the end of the season when you weren't able to be the big dog at the beginning of the season so 
heads up for people that outbid me on Pafeli Ashlock this week. I'm coming for you like week seven, week eight. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it is. It, it's interesting, right? Because I think a lot of people have weak first uh, week or two of the CFF season and they want to supplement their CFF roster. And I almost feel like you're too late if you're doing it then, right? Like one player isn't going to make a difference. Um, you know, teams are so strong. Uh, like if your lineup isn't strong top to bottom, if you have like only a couple good CFF players and you're struggling to fill out your lineup rest of the week, like one or two claims probably isn't going to make the difference there. So in a situation like that, rather than trying to catch up on the CFF side, um, I'm fully with you in terms of saving the budget for later in the season for stashes and freshmen who might start to break out middle of middle of the year uh, and do that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it is very case by case and it is, it's rule by rule, right? Like if you have one claim a week, use that claim every single week, like every single week you should use that claim. Um, I didn't this week in a, in a, in a league because I got mixed up, which, which day of the week the claims were on and I was kicking myself the whole following day. Um, but, uh, utilize as many waiver claims as you can, because you have very likely 45 man rosters. And so you're always going to have someone who you can drop. And so you should always be churning as much as you can, because if you're not, uh, other league mates will be. And, and that's, I mean, effort is one way that you get an edge in, in this league, in these leagues for sure. And so if, if you're missing out on these opportunities, other people aren't, um, you're, you're, you're falling a step or two behind. Here's um, an item that I actually want to toss out on that point real quick. Um, you might not have a great team early. I, I, I definitely have had some rosters. I don't know that I have any that are like super iffy this year but i have in the past and that first week i don't mind still spending up a good amount of my budget on a guy that is perceived as a, a quote-unquote cff only kind of guy and spending a lot of that budget because i can probably flip that guy to somebody who wants him in a couple weeks or almost immediately for a draft pick and if i'm you know gonna if, if i want some more early picks next year or whatever i have no problem doing that either so i wouldn't like let it deter you if you say like oh my team you know did really poorly this week and then you know you you put up another stinker next week and you say well like i'll just i'll, I'll you know i'll just spend it on freshmen or something i wouldn't do that i would actually spend it on cff guys and then pedal them to your league meets especially if you know that your league has a penchant for being willing to trade picks in the first three to five rounds for freshmen because those are uh, or for for cff guys because those are pretty valuable picks at the end of the day yeah, you know, that's a great point. I kind of forget about that side of things because I avoid trading when possible, but that's a great way to to get an edge. And that actually, that leads really well into the second topic I, I wanted to talk about is you do a really good job of um, evaluating your team at a certain point of the season and, and deciding on a direction that you want that team to go to and going all in for that direction. Uh, in terms of trading those guys that you were just talking about, getting picks to reload for the following season, or doing the opposite and going all in on CFF. Um, when do you make that decision in the season? When do you feel comfortable making that decision? And then how do you kind of come to the come to that decision of which way you want to take the team? Yeah, I think by week four, I probably I think in week four, I probably know which direction each team should be going. Um, and usually if I'm like not 
if my team's in the middle, more often than not, I'll probably take it back toward the, the back end of things and, and kind of sell off some some college fantasy stuff because I think um it's I think it's kind of hard to to go from the middle to the top in a CFF league. You just don't I think teams are deeper. I think the games are higher scoring. I think it's a little more difficult in the NFL where the margins are uh, a little closer and, and you can kind of win some matchups that maybe you you shouldn't have. Um, but I will say this year I actually am trying something for the first time that I think I like the idea of there are a couple leagues where I went into it this year saying, I think my team is very good. And then I was like the top scoring team week one. I'm going to a team that was just awful this week and already offering them picks for their, you know, their CFF, their one or two CFF guys that are worth something. I actually think that's a pretty smart strategy. You're setting the market, you're getting out ahead of everybody else. Um, you're better able to evaluate your team in terms of waivers over the next couple of weeks. You don't necessarily have to be aggressive on guys you don't like as much. So, and I, and I have two or three leagues this week where the, the bad teams are not realizing how bad they are, which kind of is, is sinking this approach a little bit. But if you can get a rational person on the other side of that deal, I actually think being uber aggressive either way, like early in the season, you can really uh, benefit and get uh, more than maybe you should by kind of getting out in front and not having to like bid against other people and stuff. Yeah, I like that. I think something that is underrated is like depth, like elite depth for CFF because matchups matter so much more in college than they do in the NFL. Um, like you're starting, you're starting your top tier NFL quarterbacks against anyone. But if you're, if you're top tier college quarterback is, it plays in the Mac and is going up against a team from the SEC. It doesn't matter how good he is on a week to week basis. Like you can't start him in, in a matchup like that. Um, so having depth so that you can work to always be up against uh, plus matchups is, is, is crucial. Uh, and it becomes, it's, it's less important, I guess, in playoffs once it's conference play and, and level of opponent balances out, but even still injuries happen. Um, weird stuff just always happens in college. So you get that depth, you get that elite depth early. Like you, you beat other teams to the jump. Um, I think you, you, you reap the rewards there. And the reason that I'm more uh, willing to do that, and I think this is where Nelly and I, like the big difference in how we approach C2C, really like the main one, I don't think we have a whole lot of other differing opinions overall, is that I, in my roster builds, tend to try to thread the needle a lot more than you do in terms of like not having that much depth. Because it makes it that much easier by week four to say like, okay, this just didn't work out. Like, I'm not going to be hanging on that extra week or two. Like, could could I compete? Could I not? I'll know by week three, week four, like this guy, this guy didn't work out and this guy got injured and now it's just over. And now I can, again, move those CFF pieces, kind of get some uh, top four or five round guys and kind of make a even more concentrated run at it next year. And I got to figure, like, I haven't fully like made it through a cycle of this yet, but I got to figure the worst that you that I would have to do is, like, two years in a row. And then by that third year, like, I'll have just accumulated so many early picks two years in a row that that team shouldn't have an issue. If it did, then it was just a, a me problem and not, like, a you know, but external problem. So that is where we differ a little bit, where you prefer a little more depth, and I prefer to kind of keep it a little shallower on playable depth on a week-to-week, -week, or at least, like, that elite depth from a week-to-week -week basis because – I don't mind kind of being steered not of my own volition toward one side or the other. Yeah. Two things. One, um, to count it, to kind of go off of what I talked about last week a little bit with building up 
the college pipeline to the NFL to kind of rebuild the NFL, that to me is much better of a strategy to build up the Debbie pipeline rather than selling your NFL players to do that. Like you can, you can build up a strong Debbie pipeline without sacrificing your NFL team to do that. So that strategy right there is like the perfect way to do it rather than, rather than hurting both sides. Um, but, but the other thing is, yeah, I guess to talk about where we differ, um, for me, I struggle to give up on a team, not as much because of like an attachment to it, although I'm sure that plays a little bit of a part in it, but also because it is really easy to make the playoffs in the college side of, C- of C2C leagues because there are so many teams that are not really making a push on the on, on, from a CFF perspective. They're more just building up a pipeline, a Debbie pipeline for their NFL team. Like you, you look across teams in your leagues, or at least from my perspective, maybe I'm in a bubble, but I look across teams in my leagues and there are always two, three, four, five teams that like can't even fill out, come close to filling out a starting lineup from week to week of guys who are like legitimate CFF options. Like it's just all, it's a, a ton of freshmen or a ton of projections. Um, all G5 guys and just not really attacking things from a CFF edge. And so for me, it's like, if I am going to make it into the playoff, you never know what happens in the playoffs. And, and it's hard if you're actually trying from a CFF perspective to make the playoffs, it's kind of hard to miss that mark. I I would not disagree with that. I just hate being like the six seed or a five seed. And I, I have not had a lot of luck making deep runs from that uh, position in, in leagues. Just I don't know, that doesn't seem to work out for me. I'd rather just decide I'm going to be closer to pick three than pick eight. Uh, I don't know how much that really actually matters. I maybe should dive into that in a year or two when we have more data. But uh, that that's the direction that I tend to to kick. And I know that that's kind of our our one big difference with these things. But I think it's an interesting one. I think both are uh, valid ways to play. So which which is. Uh, nice you kind of have some options yeah it's kind of tough to say like which is better because they both provide a lot of value in different ways um like i i a counterpoint against me is i i you you mentioned this earlier but i think there's less variance in terms of playoff outcomes in in cff as opposed to nfl because the top teams the ones that are getting the buys are usually so strong uh, that it's it's harder as a five or six seed that limps into the playoffs to pull off an upset. Like the the variance is is uh, is is not nearly as wide as it is on the NFL side. So there, it definitely I, I'm like coming around on on the the giving up, not giving up, but the the kind of reload for for the following year point of view. I don't know if we like. And this is a totally different discussion for a totally different show. I just want to pose the question. Like, I don't know that we have enough data on like how much should selling a CFF player to a contender midseason actually cost in picks for the following year. Like, I legit, there's no guidance. I legitimately don't know. And some of my leagues are like, I'm not, I'm not giving you more than an eighth round pick for that. And some of them are like, last year I have a 16 teamer where a guy gave me a first. Like, it was, it ended up being a pretty late first, and so you know, effectively an early second, but. Um, I, I don't know that we even like know like what range uh, you should sell those kind of guys for. So it's kind of, you know, 
you you start off the negotiation with what you want and see if you can get it. It's funny. I was trying to come up with an answer in my head to like, it, are they generally overvalued or, or, or undervalued? And I like, I, at first I was like, oh, I think the players are definitely overvalued. Like I think picks that you get for them are usually worth more than the player themselves. And then I went back on myself instantly and I was like, well, like if you think about who you're drafting with those picks the following year, like a lot of, if you're drafting a CFF guy, like the elite assets that you'd be trading for, you're, you're picking up in the third, fourth round potentially. So I think that trade ended up being like, I ended up trading Tory Horton, I think for that, that like pick one fifteen, and it ended up being Brandon Innes. So I traded Tory Horton for Brandon Innes. I mean, would you be able to get somebody to do that today? No, because the pick is much more abstract than Brandon Innes. So it 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 you know, it might vary for you, but I think it's an interesting uh, debate that I don't think we have a firm answer for. For sure, and that's kind of what makes this format so much fun. At least for me, is there's less guidelines, so you kind of have to figure it out on your own. Um, but all right, final topic here. Uh, still talking about the the college side. Um, these early weeks. It, for 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 me at least, it's it's very difficult to to make some decisions on who you're starting, who you're sitting. Um, what are what are factors that go into it from your perspective in terms of making making decisions on who you're going to start in week two after what you saw in week one? Um, how, how do you kind of come to those conclusions in a in a broad sense? Yeah, I think it's if I if the guy if the player was good last year you know, and they're on the same team and week one didn't go well, I'm usually inclined to give them another week as long as it's not up against a really who I perceive as a strong defensive opponent. And I don't, we don't really know yet, but I think we kind of have an idea or are starting to get an idea. So um, for instance, a guy like Malik neighbors, I actually didn't play Malik neighbors where I could last week. Cause I thought, FSU could give them a little bit of trouble and he, and he I think what he get like 12 PPR points or something like that. Um, but I'm willing to go back to the well this week because I know he was productive last year and I think it's a softer opponent, but I, I think I, I'm more willing to do that. Whereas guys like uh, Jordan Curley at SMU, if I don't have to play him this week, I'm not playing him because I thought that he would be the wide receiver one last week and he was not for SMU. It was actually RJ Maryland. So that's a, another story for you know, another day. Uh, guys like, uh, you know, Devin Vwasen, who we thought would step up or, um, you know, I, I, I insert other player that we kind of it's like we were like, oh, this is the system. The guy's stepping up into it. He should be good. If they didn't do anything last week, I'm probably not playing them this week until they show me that they can be the guy in that system. So I think that's kind of how I decide, uh, at least in terms of like uh, players that we either, that we thought we knew based on system. Like now, now we have to reevaluate a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's more like past president precedent of success versus um, projection of future success. Um, So you can fall back more on that past precedent. Um, I got, I know I talked on this week. I talked on this podcast last week a little bit about this of of starting guys who have that past precedent, and then I went and started Braylon Braxton in like fifty percent of my leagues. Um, so I should have followed my own advice there. But um, something else I wanted to touch on here is is matchups because you still get week two. I mean, it happened a lot in week one, but you get some really wonky matchups week two. Um, you have some 
really good teams playing against some really bad teams, like a really wide range. Um, now, generally speaking, at least from my perspective, a good offense playing against a, 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 or a good team playing against a bad team is a good thing for an offense. That being said, is there such thing as too wide of a talent gap that leaves like a blowout factor that kind of limits limit ceiling like that's something i've been toying with 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 my decisions this week and i'm not sure if i've come to a definitive conclusion on my own so want to know if you have any thoughts there i I think if an offense is fairly consolidated even if it's going to be a blowout i'll probably start the guy because you got to figure if it's 40 nothing at halftime the and it's a you know the offense only goes through maybe two or three guys that that guy probably is a big reason they're at 40 nothing in the first place where I think it's more difficult, and I, I, I still played them last week, but uh, for instance, like uh, Jace McClellan at Alabama, when they've got, well, we don't really know, but supposedly, you know, a handful of different wide receivers they want to rotate out there in a deep backfield and a quarter, first-time quarterback, really. Like, that makes it – it's not a consolidated offense, so even if there's a blowout, there's a decent probability that that guy didn't do anything to get you there. That, that, can, that can happen, and it happened with McClellan. We saw that. So I think – that's more what I'm looking for uh, in the first couple weeks. So guys on uh, either bad or, or either good or, you know, average offenses that the offense just kind of runs through them. I'm more willing to, to do that uh, early here as we're kind of feeling some things out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's, it's going to vary case by case. So it's tough to kind of create macro level rules. Um, but all definitely factors that you should think about. Um, I guess the one other thing I wanted to talk about here with start sits is chase usage more so than fantasy points. Um, like target numbers and target shares are, are so much more important than like receiving touchdowns uh, for like projecting success in a future week. Um and this also circles back to the waiver discussion that we were having as well. Like uh, again, chase chase usage and systems as you were mentioning, rather than rather than chasing the guy who scored three or four touchdowns on on twelve touches. Uh, not talking about anyone in particular from any certain system. Um, but, yeah, no, that's just that's that is like that is a very important just general guideline that that I always that I always like to follow. I agree. I agree. Um, I'm trying to think of guys like I wasn't really targeting Noah Thomas that much this week on waivers, for instance, from Texas A&M because he caught three touchdowns, I believe, but he it wasn't like on overwhelming target share. Like you can't expect that every single week. I'm more interested in a guy. Um, I, don't know, I was going to say maybe like that the Eric McAllister from Boise because he had like 16 targets, but I think that was a little game script dependent. I don't know if you find a guy that had a lot of targets, but um, you know, and you, you think they can continue that offense can continue that volume on a weekly basis. Then that's definitely the guy that I'm more interested in at that stage for sure. Yeah. There were a few like Dylan Sampson had, I think four touchdowns, Dylan Edwards had four touchdowns, but the usage wasn't, it's like, they're not going to score four touchdowns again. Yes, they also play directional what? Mississippi State. That's actually why I think Travis Hunter is kind of a risky start this week. Still, not to get into specific. Now we don't. I don't want to have a discussion on Travis Hunter, but a guy that is playing both ways against what I would assume is going to be a better opponent this week. Like I don't think he's just a penciled in starter that he's going to go for a hundred and two touchdowns or something. Like I, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I, 
I don't say I can't say that for sure. I can't say he won't go out and, and do that, but I don't feel great about starting him this week. I'd like to see one more week before I would want to put him in lineups just as a lock. Yeah. No, I mean, with with him, I I have already eaten crow on him. I don't have to make that decision anywhere because I don't roster him anywhere. So shame on me. But no, it's tough. I mean, how do you project someone who, I mean, do we have precedent of projecting snap snap counts for a guy who's playing on both sides of the ball? Not really. So it's 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 kind of difficult. Um, but so are they going to throw the ball sixty times every game? Actually, maybe. So who knows? But. <laughs> Um, but yeah. All right. I think that kind of, that, that covers everything, um, that I want to talk about here. Do you have any sort of final comments or, or questions or or topics? Yeah. Um, I think, uh, if you have any questions about your teams as you know, is this team a contender? Is this a, a pretender? You guys can DM me pictures of your teams or whatever. I will I will gladly tell you if that team's good or if that team's, you know, maybe a mirage or something like that um, and, and kind of help steer you in the right direction. Because I do think it's really important. And I I think if you can do it early in the season and really capitalize, you, you can eke out, like, extra rounds of value on future picks and um, just really kind of get ahead of your league mates. And I think that really adds up, especially if you, you know, do it consistently over several years. Yeah, and, and these are sort of like I, I I would definitely say these are still new kind of uh, immature strategies. So like if you're doing it, your league mates aren't. So it, again, this is my whole kind of thing here is is providing an edge, uh, finding ways to find edges over your league mates, and small edges in multiple areas will add up over time, and and that's definitely one way to, one way to do that. Um, but all right. Um, thank you again, Austin, for coming on. I'm sure everyone listening knows Austin, but if you don't, for some reason, he's at Debbie Dietz on Twitter and also in your, your, uh, your campus to Canton discord. He's, he's in there as well. Um, thank you for coming on and, uh, talk to you guys next time.